Welcome to Short Course, episode 47, for February 1st, 2019. I'm your host, Ben Barry. I'll be shooting my first club match of the year this weekend, hopefully. (laughs) Assuming everything goes according to plan, I guess. But I wanted to do one more episode reflecting on 2018 and just running through a sort of lightning round of just all the little things that I feel like I learned last year, whether it's gear changes, mindset changes, training changes, technique changes, just anything that that either I learned or I kind of knew, but last year hammered home. So the first one that's probably the most significant gear change from last year was the grip panels on a, on a Tanfolio. And just in general, my understanding of what I think is desirable in the grip of a gun. And this is a good example of something that I actually took away from the, the classes that I taught last year, because a lot of my thinking on this evolved as I was answering questions and trying to demonstrate my grip and and really talk through how to control the handgun in a way that I never really had had, had to verbalize before. And so the the main thing for me as far as grip panels go is that what I'm looking for on the gun, well, primarily for my right hand, I really don't care that much about the grip panels. Now, so I'm right-handed, so the so that's my that's my dominant hand, that's the hand that gets the most contact on the gun. And the grip panels actually don't matter all that much. What really matters to me now, the way I look at things now, is the front strap checkering and, and that being really grippy, and then the back strap being being well checkered. And those are the two main places that I'm making contact with my strong hand, because really what I'm trying to do is maximize that contact with, with my strong hand so that when the gun is moving up and down in recoil, I can control that. If you think about it, the palm of your right hand making contact with that grip panel doesn't doesn't actually, it doesn't reduce, it doesn't control any motion. It doesn't, there's no recoil coming back into the right or, or off directly to the right of your gun, as long as the gun's recoiling straight back. The way the gun is recoiling is straight up and down. Now with the left hand, you, the the side grip panel does matter a little bit more, but that's just because your right hand is in the way. And so you have, you can't get as perfect a grip as you would like with the left hand. But at any rate, the upshot of it is the right hand grip panel on the Tanfo really doesn't matter all that much to me. And one of the ways that I know this is I now shoot with a set of very thick lock G10 grips. And even there, I'm, I'm still not making contact when I'm shooting between the, the palm of my right hand and the grip panel sometimes. When I've got a really locked in grip, if you look, you could, you could slide a zip tie in between the, the sort of meat of my of my right hand and the grip panel there. I'm just, I'm not making contact. You're not, you don't need to. And if you're concentrating on making that front and back contact on the gun, I've found that that, that sort of gap develops and that's fine. It's just a natural consequence of, of gripping the gun that way. On the other hand, on the left side, what you do want is relatively thick grip panels, at least what I've found, just because that gives the fingers of your right hand more space to get out of the way so if the gun is wider, then the fingers of your right hand don't wrap as far around the, the left side of the gun. And that gives you more room to get your, your left hand on the, on the grip panel and really get traction, which is really the only place that the left hand can get traction. It, it really, it's, it's either that your fingers of your left hand against the outside of your right hand, pro grip helps here, or the, the meat of your left hand against the grip panel. And those two things are really all that the, the left hand can, can get a grip on. And that's helped by having thicker grip panels. I, I definitely think that it's better to have a more grippy texture. So something either like, in my opinion, I think the wood tenfolio grips are pretty good. 
And I think G10 grips are even better, especially a nice grippy texture like the ones that, that lock grips have. So having a textural grip more than necessarily really intense checkering, I'm, I'm not that much of a fan of, of really checkered grip panels. Um, a good example of this would be, say, the, the Grafell 10 folio grips that, that have pretty good checkering on them. But even that isn't as grippy as sort of a mild G10. There's just something about G10 that I find gives me a better grip than, than metal. But your mileage may vary. That's just, that's just what I found. The other thing that goes hand in hand with this, and this is something that I think I kind of knew, but definitely came out in the classes and, and was reinforced in my practice, is just getting my left thumb off the gun, not trying to press into the, the frame of the gun with my left hand, not trying to get any kind of ledge or anything like that. Now, I shoot in production where I'm not allowed to have a gas pedal, but I've shot a couple 2011s with gas pedals, and what I've found is I get similar I get similar tension in my left hand by, by putting my thumb on the gas pedal or not. And so nowadays, my aim with my grip is to have the, the meat of my left hand on the gun, making good tension, and have my thumb straight down the frame, pointing forwards, pressing almost like I'm pressing a gas pedal that isn't quite there, but not not pressing into the frame. And, and there's really two reasons for that. The one is that I just found that the more I gripped, if I had my left thumb on the gun, the more I gripped, the more the gun would track up into the right, which makes sense. If you imagine the gun is recoiling straight up and down, and then you have your left thumb pressing on the frame far out on the on the dust cover, and there's nothing on the other side to oppose the force, then I think very naturally the gun is going to track up into the right when it's in motion. And so what I found is getting my thumb off the frame helped reduce that quite a bit. And I also found that when I would press in with my thumb, it would serve to sort of lift the meat of my left hand right at the base of the thumb where I'm I'm trying to get grip high up on the grip panel. It would actually kind of act like a lever to kind of push that part of my hand off the gun. And so it would actually reduce the contact. And so the reverse I found is true. If I don't let myself touch the gun with my left thumb, what I end up doing is doubling down on that grip with with the, the meat of my left hand and getting a, a more solid grip where I have more texture and, and more ability to actually grip. Because on any gun without a gas pedal, you know, whether you've got a little, you know, uh, stippling on your Glock or whatever up there, I, I just, I don't think it makes that much of a difference. I don't think you get that much mechanical advantage, that much leverage from that compared to what you're doing with steering the gun up into the right. So that that's definitely a technique change. I think I kind of knew about it, but it's definitely cemented in my mind some more. One more change or mindset shift is I've just, I, I really have completely kind of given up on go fast gun parts, especially for 10 folios. I've just seen so many come and go. And I ended up, part of what did this is after I went to IPSC nationals and I, I had what happened there, I came home and I really didn't want to mess with my guns. Like they were, the guns were at least running. That was the one kind of good thing from IPSC nationals. I had figured out the high primer issues the way the springs and the firing pin and everything was set up, they were just running. And the last thing that I wanted to do was spend precious practice sessions messing around with changing my guns configuration. And so I didn't. I just left them exactly the way they were set up for IPSC Nationals all the way through the end of the year and all the way through to to this day. And I've put six or seven, some thousand rounds on the gun since then. No problems. The triggers are fine. They're shootable. Could I get them lighter? Yeah, probably. Do I care? No, not really. And so... I'm used to how they shoot. They run reliably. And I just I just don't care enough to, to go and start messing with parts because it just it might introduce doubt. And the I, I just the theoretical improvement of 
using a lighter hammer spring or changing out the firing pin. I mean, I just, eh, I don't, I don't care at this point. So 2018 was my second full season of shooting the Tanfolio stock twos, which I thought, so, so originally I shot a Glock and then an MNP and I liked striker guns because I had the mindset that I only had to learn one trigger pull and, and all that. And I think that, that there is some wisdom to that. If you're not going to necessarily invest the training into something like uh, learning a, a double action gun and the double single transition, if you just want to shoot 500 or 1,000 rounds a year and have something you're reasonably competent with, then yeah, strike your gun all the way. No problem there. But I think at the time that I switched, I was still thinking that the the double single was going to be a burden that I would overcome because of all the other advantages of the gun. And my perspective on it now is a little bit different because I actually look at the double action trigger pull as sort of an instructive tool or a, a test that that first shot out of the holster, either in dry fire or live fire, if I have my grip messed up, it's going to show up on the double. And so there's there's no temptation to just grab the gun and and whack off the first shot because I know that if there is any small error in my grip, then it's going to show up on that double. And in dry fire, you you start to notice any kind of hiccup or any kind of problem with the way you're gripping the gun or pulling the trigger in that double. And so you wouldn't, I'm not saying you would want to shoot every shot for a 32 round stage with an eight pound double action, which is about what mine are. But I think having it in there for one shot in each practice rep or in each stage, it it gives you that little bit of verification that, yep, your sights are good, your your trigger pull is good, your mechanics are good. And then once you're over that hump, then you can cruise and, and shoot the shoot the single action. But rather than being a hindrance, I, I've actually come to sort of embrace the challenge that being able to master a good double action pull brings and then using that and applying the same mechanics when you have a when you have a, a lighter single action trigger pull and just taking advantage of it. But I, rather than it, it being a burden, I, I've actually come to see it as a, as a useful training tool if you look at it in the right light. Something else that I've changed my tune on in 2018 is something that uh, Joel from the Shoot Fast podcast has, has definitely been making very popular this year, and that's a paster gun. And I my, my main objection always used to be that I am actually, I can when I'm walking between targets at a match, I can get two pacers on my fingers, walk up to the target, pace those two holes and get two more pacers on my fingers while I'm walking to the next target. And so it doesn't, I I didn't really seem to me whenever I would borrow a paster gun at a match or whatever, it just didn't seem like it saved that much time. And it was a hassle and it was one more thing to have in my range bag and blah, blah, blah. That's all still true. The difference is in practice, when you're shooting a drill, the way that I tend to practice the way a lot of people tend to practice, which is you run the same drill five times in a row or something like that, then you end up with 10 holes in one target. And if you can just roll up to that target and just paste a hole at the rate of, you know, one hole per second, instead of having to pull all the pacers off one at a time, you can just walk up to that target, paste them all up and you're done. Especially if you're doing something where you're even doing more than that. You know, let's say you're shooting three bill drills back to back between pasting, then you got 18 holes. When you're pasting a lot of holes in one target, which generally speaking only happens in practice, paste your gun's worth it. And honestly, I bring a lot more crap to practice because I have to bring sticks and target stands and targets and and all the pasters and extra timer batteries and my clipboard and, you know, just all this other stuff. And so the extra, the extra logistics of bringing the paster gun 
doesn't really matter, whereas with a match, I do try and keep the amount of stuff that I'm hauling stage to stage pretty light. And honestly, there isn't a lot of room for a paster gun in that setup, but at, at practice, it <laughs> yeah, it gets it gets lost in the in all the other stuff. Another sort of change in my outlook and also a I guess minor gear change is I've I've gotten pretty tired of the the standard Tanfolio stock two holster that it seems like everybody uses, which is the the Blade Tech one, which honestly I don't know why they get away with marketing it that way, because it seems like it's made overly large. I think they also fit stock threes, so it's a half inch longer than it needs to be, and it's got room for a rail, which is why what what eventually just drove me up the wall is just the way that that the gun would just wiggle in the holster. It just moves too much for for my liking. And I had a gift certificate for a Red Hill Tactical holster, which I did use to get one of their Tenfolio Stock Two holsters, which was better than the Blade Tech. Um, I wasn't thrilled with it. I ended up having to do a fair amount of hand fitting to sort of round off a lot of the the sharp edges and just cut material away from high on the front strap of the gun because I, I wasn't able to actually get all the way up under the trigger guard and get a firing grip. There was just still some, some Kydex in that area. Once I got it sorted out, it was, it was fine, but it's just, you know, it is, they recommend double layer Kydex for their, for heavy steel guns. And, and it just, eh, it ended up being a little bit too much for me. I didn't like it a ton. And I've got a local guy here who, who makes Kydex holsters in his garage and, uh, and he makes them on a blade tech mount. And so I just, Got a couple of those, and there he uses a, a thinner kydex that just it gives a little bit more. And so, you know, if you if you pull the gun slightly, it, it basically flexes a little bit. And so, if you're as you're drawing, if you don't draw straight out, the, the kydex, the thinner kydex gives you a little bit more leeway. And so, I like that a little bit more. I, I definitely would not go back to the the Blade Tech holsters if you're still using one. Definitely get one from Red Hill or somebody else. I know the Pro Shop is selling ones from. Long shadow holster or something. Um, yeah, they're they're way better than than the blade tech in my opinion. And if you have somebody near you who can custom mold some nicer ones, then then go that route too. But either way, I, I'm just yeah, I'm done with the the blade tech ones. One match management type thing that that I changed this year is I tried to to scale way back on the the amount of coffee I drink actually at matches. Which is funny because those of you who've been listening for a while, one of the things that I actually talked about uh, last spring or so, it was on the episode about hot summer matches, was cold brewing coffee the night before the match and then having it cold to drink all day so you have something to sort of caffeinate you without having to, you know, either drink hot coffee or try and keep something iced and have the ice melt and having it get watered down and all that. And and I still like the the cold brew, but honestly, I just, I, I don't, I try not to drink that much coffee at a match because what I found is it would get me energized for the first part of the match. And then I would end up crashing towards the end, especially at some of our, you know, longer 9am to 5pm type summer matches with eight stages here in here in North Carolina. It's, it's a pretty long day. And if I just accept, you know, not feeling as perky as possible on the, the very first stage, usually it's not, a per, it's not like I'm shooting sluggishly, but I, I'm just a little, you know, not as, as buzzed as I'm used to being then I just sort of have more energy throughout the day. And so rather than sort of front-loading energy for the first part of the day, if I just either have about half the coffee I used to have or, or try and avoid it completely, um, then I just have more energy the whole day through. Now, obviously, this is this is one of those where you got to know yourself, but that was a pretty counterintuitive finding. I, I was thinking I needed to drink more coffee to fight off the crash. And what I realized, for me at least, is that drinking the coffee in the morning was what was causing the crash. So 
eliminating that actually solved the problem in sort of a backwards kind of way. One thing that I also sort of a bit of humble pie, I guess, in, in the way I practice this year is, is I really embrace the idea that when you're practicing, you, you need to adjust the, the drill or the goal that you've set to the, the level of your current skill. If you're, you know, if you're just shooting a drill and just spinning your wheels and not making progress, if you shoot one run that's good and then one that's bad and then you try and get back to the good one and you shoot another one that's bad in another way and you just feel out of control like you're just spinning your wheels, you set the bar too high. Whatever the challenge is in front of you, it's it's higher than what you can reliably deliver on demand today. Maybe you could do it last week and you can't today. There's a good question as to why that would be. Investigating that might be instructive. But anyway, you slice it today at this practice session, you're not able to do that. And so back it off. Make the make the drill a little bit easier or change it up. And and what I found for me was what would stop me from doing this was ego. I would think, oh no, no, I'm that's too easy for me. I'm better than that. I can't possibly shoot dots at three yards or go back to, you know, shooting seven yard build drills. Like I'm I'm better than that. I'm a GM, don't you know? Whatever. And what I eventually realized the the counter argument to that is, I guess you could say, is well, if something really is beneath you, then you should have no problem doing it reliably. So Anytime you find yourself thinking, oh, no, no, that's, that's too easy for me. I, 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 that's beneath me. I don't, I don't need to worry about that. I can, I can do that. I'm good enough to do that. Set up the drill and do it three times in a row. And if you can do it three times in a row, then you've proved it to yourself that you can. But if it turns out that you're not as good as you thought you were, well, there again, that's valuable data. At least you know. At least you're, you're sort of deconstructing these misconceptions about your skill level. But it also gives you a chance to to go back to a level where you can reliably produce good results and then work your way towards the goal that you want to be at. But just telling yourself, as I found myself doing, like, no, no, I can do that, or I've done that in the past, or I'm, I'm good enough, I don't need to worry about that. Test yourself. Don't 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 take your own word for it. Set up the drill and and prove it. And if you can't, then then that's fine. At least you've learned something. On a little bit of a different note, something that I was also thinking about this year is just the fact that you, we all should really take a little bit more time to appreciate, appreciate the sport in your area, such as it is, and and don't take it for granted. And I, I think about this in two ways. One is that we have a, a, a club around here that I, when I was earlier in the year, when I was shooting two club matches a month, they were one of the two club matches that I made sure to hit every month. And due to, difficulties with the range owners and and promises not being kept they're not running matches anymore you know i still talk to the match director he's still looking to host matches he still wants to make the sport better but he you know the the facility just isn't isn't up to it and so one of my favorite matches went away i took it for granted and it went away and so don't you know don't don't let yourself just assume that because some match has been just chugging along like clockwork for years that that it's always going to be there assume that likely someone is going to burn out soon or something is going to change and and be in a position to help if you can. Don't just kind of take these things for granted. And by the same token, maybe your section match happens every year like clockwork and and it's always boring and and a great time to shoot. And it seems like it's just not not even a question that it'll happen well. Well, every year it takes work. Every year there's always a a huge machine behind behind the scenes working to make it happen. And 
like happened in 2018, sometimes even having all that coordination isn't enough to, to, to stand up to something like a hurricane barreling down on you. And so don't, you know, don't take your section match for granted either. Really appreciate that, that that could not happen. I mean, I know right now the, the, the plans are, are trying to be worked out for the, the 2019 section and here in North Carolina, and it's still not clear exactly what the, what the plan is going to be. And obviously things, you know, we have a new section coordinator and so that, that complicates things a little bit, but it's as someone who's been shooting the section match in North Carolina for the last five years, I, I do think I'd gotten to the point where I just kind of took it for granted. Like, yep. Okay. We've got a good section. We've got a bunch of good clubs. We've got a bunch of good people. You know, it's, it's, it's just going to happen. It's just took it for granted. And, and I don't think that's good. I, th- I think it's good to remember that keeping anything at the scale of a, even a, a nine or 10 stage section match going year after year reliably, it still takes a huge amount of work. And so, you know, pitch in if you can and, and just appre- appreciate it if you have it. And the last thing on my list here is something that I talked about in episode 11 as a part of the, the book review of Peak that I did. If you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to it, or honestly, just give it another listen. I think I think Peak is is an excellent book, especially for this time of year. It's a good good book about how we learn and how we get better and, and how to iteratively improve. But one of the things that they talk about in that book that that's definitely been hammered home for me this year is the idea that you you never get better by just trying to do something harder. You should you should always try and do something differently instead. If you're stuck, don't just try harder. Try differently. So a non-shooting example might be if you're trying to improve your, your three-point shot in basketball. Well, don't just, if you're having trouble hitting three-pointers, don't just go out and do 100 a day. Don't go out and do 1,000 a day. That, that might be good. That might be part of a good practice schedule, but do some from the three-point line, do some from a foot back from the three-point line, and then some from a foot inside, and then some from two feet back, and some from two feet inside, and then just try and switch things up to try and learn what it is that's holding you back. Because if you're in a situation where you're tempted to just try harder, usually there's something blocking you. And the, the trick is not to just run at the wall hard enough and, and bust through it. It's to step to the side and sort of look at the situation from enough angles that you can see where the wall is and then just walk around it. Just come up with some technique change that that subverts the issue that doesn't just try and, and brute force push through it. So a shooting example might be if you're working on your grip strength and you, you feel like you're trying to grip harder and harder and the gun isn't getting more controlled, then just start trying things differently. Don't, don't tell yourself, oh, I, I, need to, I need to dry fire grip strength for an hour a day and just, just knuckle under and just muscle it and, and try harder. Trying harder doesn't work. Try differently. Instead, try, yes, try gripping really hard, then try gripping really loose. Try in live fire where you can actually measure the results. Uh, try gripping really high on the gun and then really low. Try, you know, just go back to basics and shoot left hand only trying to apply your grip fundamentals. Shoot right hand only trying to apply the, the grip fundamentals. Do all kinds of stuff. I mean, you could even, if you really want to try and make a breakthrough or something, try and grip the gun with a two-handed freestyle grip, but do it with your, if you're right-handed, do it with your left hand holding the gun and pulling the trigger and your right hand as a support hand. Just to just to break down any kind of inertia that you've got, any bad habits that, that you can't see because you're just so used to doing things the same way every time, just try differently. Don't just try and double how much time or double your effort or, or just 
try and muscle through it. It doesn't work. Don't, don't try to get better by trying harder. Try differently. Well, that wraps up this episode of Short Course. I post video for my matches, including my first club match of 2019, at youtube.com slash USPSA. My email is podcast at berryshooting.com. Talk to you next time.